At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. The gala ball is in full swing. Emissaries and dignitaries drink and dance the night away. Spinning, laughing, toasting every little thing that's occurred since the last one. It is here that two spies find themselves looking for intel. For sitting comfortably at a poker table, the tight-jacketed super spy, James Bond, finds himself all in with a pair of aces. While on the other side, Nick Fury has effortlessly ingratiated himself to the assembled guests with old war stories while in front of the bar serving drinks to all. Both spies exchange a glance and make the other. Both spies excuse themselves and step outside. And a moment later, both spies are fighting each other for their very lives. It's MI6 versus S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Vesper Martini versus Double Macchiato. It's Daniel Craig James Bond versus MCU Nick Fury. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stacanus. 
Look, in today's episode, we are bringing you the matchup not so many people have talked about, but that everyone really deep down wants to see. In one corner, you have the Daniel Craig version of James Bond. Some say arguably the best version of the character versus the MCU's Nick Fury, who has established himself as quite possibly Marvel's ultimate spy master over 11 films. As usual, I did the patented who would win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed. And to my surprise, uh, actually, this matchup has actually been discussed quite a bit in terms of James Bond versus Nick Fury. Yeah, it has. However, it's never actually been done of a Daniel Craig, James Bond versus MCU Nick Fury ever. And trust me, I looked for it, couldn't find it. So yet again, who would win is bringing you a geek battle premiere on today's episode. Ray, you got to tell me, what do you think about this matchup? I am always excited about the matchups here on the show. Look, we lovingly craft these matchups to be things that we personally would like to see and think the audience might enjoy as well. Now, we can talk a little bit about last week's episode being Uh-oh. one of the biggest in the history of the show of course i'm speaking of ash ketchum from pokemon versus <laughs> ultron the marvel supervillain and i don't want to talk about the decision about that matchup so much as really? i want to say how disappointed i am in the decision in that matchup ultron clearly should have 1.1 1.2 and 0.3 and somehow James, with his intoxicating mind fog, tricked another judge into the wrong decision. First of all, first of all, congratulations to Ray Sicanis for absolutely nailing it when it came to uh, representing Ultron and what Ultron could do, feats, victories, all that kind of great stuff. I had to play a really specific strategy. Ray, you know that's what I do. I implemented the intoxicating mind fog, you know, kind of let him sleep a little bit on point number one, number two, and then hit him hard on point number three. On a side note, Sales of the Intoxicating Mind Fog uh, t-shirt have just dramatically risen this past I've week. Seen. I'm not sure why. It's just a thing. Look, Ray, we do these crazy matchups all the time, and today is no uh, no exception, but I got to pull back the curtain a little bit. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little upset with today's matchup. You're upset with today's upset. matchup? You agreed to it, James. I don't know what to tell you. So the Who Would Win production team, you know, they present Ray and I with the battles and we all talk about it. And then, you know, sometimes we're at an impasse because, you know, Ray wanted to represent MCU Nick Fury. So did I. I love MCU Nick Fury. Uh, you know, everyone knows I love Megatron. I also love the Nick Fury character in the Marvel Universe, uh, especially the cinematic universe. And so we got to a tie and then finally one person voted for Ray to say, let's see him vote. And I'm like, OK, fine. So Ray. Here's the deal. You remember Megatron versus King Kong? Who can forget that battle? <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. Do you remember how ticked off I was when you had to you got to rep Lord Megatron I've and I couldn't? I've never ever seen you so angry after a win, and I've never seen me so angry after a loss. That's not true. <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the deal. So I was not I was not happy. I'm going to come at you hard with Daniel Craig, James Bond. Well, I hope so. I'm going to play this game because this is what the MCU Nick Fury would want me to do. Mm. So, Ray Sicanis, if you lose this matchup, you have no idea the thunder, the destruction that I will rain down on your house, wherever that is, because I don't want to go visit, if you lose this battle. Again, I'm coming at you hard with Daniel Craig, James Bond, but if you lose this battle... We're going to have a problem. What are your thoughts on that? There's only three battles left in season three, and I haven't looked at the official scoreboard lately, but I do know it's embarrassingly close between the two of you. I can't afford any more losses at this point. If I'm going to have a chance to pull this season out, I accept your challenge and will defeat you to make you happy. 
Look, these battles are emotional affairs, and today is no exception. It might be a little bit more emotional than uh, usual. Speaking about being quite emotional, I'm quite emotional about our guest judge for today's episode, making their first appearance on the Who Would Win show. You can see them as Tim Weaver on The Mayor of Kingstown, now on Paramount+. Plus. It's also the producer and star of the indie drama Sea Cloud Park, which comes out next year. It's Colt Vaughn from Deathloop, and it's soon-to-be award-winning voiceover actor. Of course, I'm talking about Jason Kelly. Jason, welcome to Who Would Win. Thanks for having me, James. Thanks for having me, Ray. Now, Jason, listen, I'm not even sure where to start because you do so much great stuff. Let's talk about your indie film. Give us some mm. details about that. Sea Cloud Park is a uh, heart-wrenching but beautiful film about two fathers that meet at, by happenstance at a park while they're watching their kids. The unthinkable happens, and we watch and observe the relationship between these two men evolve over time as one picks up the pieces of his life and tries to move on. So it's not a serious movie whatsoever. It's no, a very lighthearted affair. Not, not a lot of jokes, but there is some humor in it. <laughs> Just okay, so that we yeah. can give people a breather. This is great. This is currently in pre-production and soon yes. to be uh, filmed. And this is coming out when? It'll probably be complete in January of 2022. And hopefully we'll make a nice little splash at the festivals and uh, get out in distribution on some, one of the major platforms sometime next year. How do you feel it is? You know, you, you know, you've been in front of the camera. You've done great voiceover work as well. And Thanks. now you're playing producer. Is that a role you like? Do you fit into those shoes pretty well? Yeah, because I don't mind writing checks uh, when I've got it. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of hard work. I, I'm of the ilk that you should empower people that are really good at what they do to do what it is they do. Surround yourself by great people and let them roll. And that's what I've done. Uh, I've We've gone and cast an incredible lineup of talented actors to play these parts. Uh, it's a cast of, I believe, six and we, I've, you know, Cameron Fife is one of the best writer directors that I've come across in the uh, ultra low budget up to mid sized budget films. He's really good at putting these things together. He's got a great team of people put uh, with him, and we're just gonna let them do what they do. And cameras roll. We're gonna do what we do, and hopefully, at the end, we'll end up with a beautiful piece. I think you've got the winning formula, by the way. As Thanks. a producer, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. Now, I got it all, all from Russell Simmons, man. Straight up. He <laughs> that said, is uh, a great place to start. No joke. Uh, look, you know, you're also nominated for this little award. You know, who even, you know, should we even talk about it? Why not? Uh, you're nominated for Best Performance uh, of 2021 at the Game Awards for your work on Deathloop. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah. What, what do you think your chances are of winning? <laughs> I'm up against Giancarlo Esposito. Gus so Fring from Breaking Bad <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Better Call Saul. And uh, also Maggie Robertson just actually won for the Golden Joystick Award. She won Lady Demestri. I can't pronounce the last name, but she won for her role in uh, Resident Evil. So I, I, I don't I don't know. I think I do think I have a shot. No, look, Fans when you really win this, like Jason, it, when you win this, you're going to be able to turn to everybody and say, I beat a Sith Lord. And I'm exactly. just saying that's a win. <laughs> You know, the way way I perceive it is if I win, wow, I beat Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> if I lose, I was in the same category with Giancarlo Esposito. So it. it's really a win-win. Nice win. It's a win either way. I love it. Look, I think your chances are pretty good, but um, why don't we try to improve them right now? What do you Let's say? Let's try. I, I okay. say we do. 
All right, well, here's the deal. I believe Ray and I already voted for you and for Deathloop, and I believe eight different categories or nine different nominations. But here's the deal. We've actually got a really good fan base. We call them the Legion of Audience, and I'm actually calling on the Legion of Audience right now to go ahead and help Jason Kelly win this award. Now, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to go to thegameawards.com. That's www.thegameawards.com. You're going to sign in, and then you're going to vote your hearts out for Jason Kelly and Deathloop. It's really that easy. It's really that simple. Ray, what do you think of that? I think everybody should do it, and I'll be very excited about telling everybody to do it, depending on who wins this battle today. <laughs> Ray's a very fair-weather type of competitor. What can I tell you? Hey, last thing. I've actually – there's a rumor about you. I hear that you have a special ability of acquiring special things in special ways. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I do have a superpower. It did not come from an Infinity Stone, but – oh wow. I was doing a promotional bit for uh, Deathloop when it initially dropped and did a little shout out to all the fans and mentioned in there that if anybody knew how to get their hands on a PS5 and a copy of the game, hit me up because I don't have one and I, and I couldn't locate one. And lo and behold, that became a thing. And a number of bloggers and a number of uh, reporters ran with it. And somebody came to Bethesda and said, hey, Jason, hey, we've got a, a, a PS5 for Jason if he wants it. We Let us get his address or we can send it to Bethesda and you guys can forward it to him. And lo and behold, it came. I opened it. I set it up. I got it probably mid-October. And okay. um, I got a PS5. And it's so dope. It's amazing. So, so, I mean, congratulations on that, on, on both acquiring the PS5 and figuring out you've got that kind of superpower. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Why don't you go bigger? <laughs> like, let's try it right now. Let's see what happens. Hey, Jason, how's that mansion of yours doing? Man, you know, if anybody knows how to give me a 1% loan <laughs> and uh, hook me up with, like, I don't know, LA, $3 yeah. million down payment. Sure. Hit me up. Let me know. My wife and I have a young family. And we'd like to move out of our two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment. <laughs> there, I can, I'm, I'm hearing bloggers type this out right now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think I think we're on to something. Legion of Audience, vote for Jason Kelly and stay tuned. I can't wait for him to move to L.A. and Ray and I can hang out with him at his uh, amazing Malibu mansion. On the beach, by the way, is pretty much what's going to happen. All right. <laughs> listen, so with that said, it's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing cinema, the spy who must cost the British government a fortune in tailoring because he's busting out of every suit they put him in, Daniel Craig's James Bond. And representing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the S.H.I.E.L.D. director who was doing just fine until he played an untitled game with a goose, MCU Nick Fury. Why are James Bond's you know suits so tight? I mean, it doesn't really because work Daniel that well. Craig is a very large man, and they put him in the tiniest suits physically possible. Is he that big though? Is he? He's got broad shoulders. He definitely he does have broad shoulders. shoulders. He's a good-looking dude. All right, now before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a who would win match. Rule number one: each debater will make three points. Rule number two: the who would win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three: the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Look, this is where Ray and I say, "Hey, we're using this version of this character from the comic books, whatever." Not happening today. It's Daniel Craig James Bond versus the absolutely amazing. MCU Nick Fury. 
That's it. That's all. Rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whomever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal. And finally, rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or establish logic. Feel free to check out the official rules on our website, whowouldwinshow.com. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store. Get your official Who Would Win t-shirts, mugs, and merchandise by going to whowouldwinshow.com and clicking on the merch section. Experience full plates and fuller wallets with every plate, America's best value meal kit. The holidays are upon us. Give yourself and your wallet a break. Every plate is 50% cheaper than a meal made from grocery store ingredients, and each recipe couldn't be easier to follow. With every plate, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week and swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking. And all that for the same price as one cup of coffee. It's assuredly cheaper than that pumpkin spice latte. Last week, my family challenged me to make something great for dinner. So I ordered the amazing hibachi-style steak rice bowls from every plate for my family, Super easy and super quick to prepare, by the way. Now, my entire family thinks I'm an amazing cook. And thanks to every plate, you know what? They're not wrong. Each meal gives you simple step-by-step -step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients to make it fast and easy. Hey, I've said it before. If you can build a bookshelf, you can make a great meal with every plate. And the choices are varied. I've personally made crispy Caesar chicken, pork and poblano tacos, and bibimbap. And all of the above turned out absolutely fantastic. Get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. That's just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. Try this offer and you'll see firsthand why every plate is America's best value meal kit. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details on the MCU's Nick Fury. Nick Fury is the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and founder of The Avengers. The MCU version first appeared in the movie Iron Man in 2008 and is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Nick Fury is the glue that holds the Marvel Cinematic Universe together. He's personally responsible for S.H.I.E.L.D., the Avengers, the Tahiti program, and more. He's led the charge against aliens, Hydra, and anyone else who might threaten the Earth. He even faked his own death from everyone and continues to run things from beyond the grave for a while. In short, if it happened in the MCU, Nick Fury was assuredly somehow involved. Fun fact, most all the MCU characters are based on their original comic book versions, but Nick Fury is based on the Ultimates version of Nick Fury, who was based on Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, when creating the Ultimates comic books back in 2000, many of the characters were reimagined for a modern age. Among this was an interesting, yet completely unlicensed, depiction of Nick Fury as just straight-up Samuel L. Jackson. When asked if he wanted to sue Marvel, Jackson made the incredibly adept decision to just hang out and see how it played. Well, it played out to the tune of a nine-picture deal when later that decade Marvel needed someone to play the Samuel L. Jackson-inspired role in the movies. So smart move, Mr. Jackson. That is MCU Nick Fury. Do you see what I'm talking about, Race to Canis? This is, like, whether it's MCU's Nick Fury or Samuel L. Jackson, the genius, the knowledge, the, the ability to predict. I'm just saying I like this character is all I'm saying. No, I'm just saying right now, if somebody was to put out a comic book and put an unlicensed Race to Canis in it, I can't say for sure how I'd feel about it, but if I found out I was getting a nine-picture deal to play this character in the movies, I would probably be okay with the whole thing. I got to tell you, a comic book with Ray Sicanis in it would probably rival the sales of something like, um, what was that limited uh, Marvel series? Oh, yeah, NFL Super Pro. Oh, we could we could definitely outsell NFL Super Pro. Let's get Stefan Thomas on the line right now. That's right. I'll sell dozens of copies, right? Dozens. All right. Well done. Now, here are the details for Daniel Craig's James Bond. James Bond is a fictional British Secret Service agent created in 1953 by famed writer Ian Fleming. James Bond, otherwise known as 007, is an intelligence officer in the Secret Intelligence Service, commonly known as MI6, who also served as a Royal Naval Reserve Commander. He is the protagonist of the James Bond series of 39 novels, 26 films, as well as comics and video games. James Bond is the world's best-known super spy who always uses the latest gadgets and tech to thwart other secret agents, bring international gangsters to justice, and to take down any large organization bent on world domination. An enthusiastic gambler, he's nearly as loyal to his signature vodka martini as he is to the British crown. Although Bond radiates charisma and style, he's also intensely solitary and virtually friendless. Now, despite the charisma and charm, James Bond is rightfully considered an international badass, having killed well over 400 people on film in almost every way imaginable. And here's an interesting fact about Daniel Craig's James Bond. Did you know that there was a little bit of heat between Samuel L. Jackson and Daniel Craig? It's true. Now, all this occurred before No Time to Die came out. So Daniel Craig, who had shown his disinterest in playing 007 again, told Time Out London, I guess that's a newspaper out there or a magazine, he said, I'd rather break this glass and slash my wrist than play Bond again. Lord. That's kind of strong. Yeah, I'm over it at the moment. We're done. All I want to do is move on. If I did another Bond movie, it would only be for the money. 
That's interesting. Hmm. Now, this statement, however, kind of upset hmm. Samuel L. Jackson, who has played Nick Fury 11 times in the MCU. In response to what Daniel Craig said about playing James Bond, Jackson stated, I'm not James Bond. I'm not looking for another job. I'm okay with being Nick Fury for however long they need me to be. Have these two resolved their differences? Who knows? And now you have the facts on both opponents. Jason, wow. do you have any questions before we get started? No, I think the uh, gauntlet has been laid down. Possibly some wolf tickets have been sold, but we will see <laughs> once the competition begins. I haven't heard the term wolf tickets in quite some time. You are a national treasure, good sir. All right, race to Canis. Go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for MCU Nick Fury. First off, I want to talk about who this man is, where he came from, and what makes him Nick Fury. Because the first thing you have to keep in mind about Nick Fury is he's a master motivator. Now, that's not necessarily going to help him in a fight against James Bond. But part of being a motivator is understanding people. He can read people very, very quickly. He can figure out what's going on inside their head, what they want, and how to manipulate them. And so in a battle between him and, and Daniel Craig James Bond, we have to assume there's going to be a lot of conversation that happens before, during, and potentially after the battle is over. And I have to believe that any verbal sparring match the two would have would be completely run by Nick Fury and that Nick Fury would be able to talk circles around James Bond and absolutely get him in a position or get him angry or whatever in the moment he feels he needs to do for James Bond to make a mistake. I mean, this is a guy who talked down the Hulk. Bruce Banner was turning into the Hulk and Nick Fury talked him down. If you could stop that, I think you could stop James Bond starting with just your words. The other thing that he's really known for is keeping his wits around him. When things are going crazy, now both these two characters are sort of known for having ice in their veins. We all remember the one scene with James Bond where he had to restart his own heart with a car battery or something because he got poisoned. That's a tough position for anyone to be put in. Almost as bad, I would argue worse, is being turned to dust by the snap that happened in Infinity War. Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury not only didn't lose his wits as he knew in five seconds he'd be disintegrated, but he was able to reach in, recall Captain Marvel, and bring her down because he has the presence of mind no matter what's happening to him or his body in order to keep going and get the win any way possible. Look, this man's been a soldier, he's been a spy, he's been the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. In all of these roles, he's got the full training of the soldier. He fought in the Army right out of high school, which means he has full Army combat training that involves both tactics, that involves close quarter and weapons training, and he's shown a high proficiency in both. He's known for being a very, very good shot. He tends to hit everything that he's shooting, and he's also very good at uh, martial arts as well. We've seen him pull all kinds of moves you wouldn't have expected this character to pull as far as like jumping, flipping, flying around people's backs, spinning them around, doing holds. He's doing these moves that you wouldn't expect, and he's not exactly a small man either. James Bond is large and muscular. I would argue that Nick Fury is as strong as James Bond physically, uh, without a question. And as part of being a spy, he worked for the CIA. You know, he was able to get intel on Bruce Banner by hiding in plain sight and just sitting near him. And he's a large man with a trench coat and an eye patch when he wants to. And he wasn't seen by Bruce Banner, who was probably looking for him at the time. He's a master at stealth. He's a master of manipulation. In fact, 
Quentin Beck, known to the world as Mysterio in the most recent Spider-Man movie till the next one, Quentin Beck, who knows a thing about a thing, considered Nick Fury the most dangerous man in the entire world. And he don't have superpowers. All of that combined together shows you that he's going to be an awesome physical force, but also an awesome mental force, much more so than James Bond. And that's my point number one. Okay, so first of all, you're saying in a one-on-one encounter, MCU Nick Fury will be a master motivator like a Tony Robbins, a life coach, and that somehow is going to help in this fight against James Bond. Well, James, no wonder if you're not going to listen to my points and actually understand them, what chance do you have in this battle? I said right away that the things that make him a good motivator will help him in other ways, but not through motivation. James, try listening once. It might help you. Yeah, I wasn't listening. Now, how old is Nick Fury, uh, by the way? It doesn't really say in there, but he is known to be a little bit more seasoned. Could argue that that character, if you look at how old Samuel L. Jackson was, I believe he starts in his late 50s. But he is definitely still a very good physical specimen. I'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, good. Now, the other thing is, too, you know, with that whole, it was, I think it was off a comic book based off like the MCU, where Nick Fury uh, encounters Bruce Banner at a bar and starts talking to him and trying to get, you know, talk to him about different things. Bruce Banner was not trying to look for anybody. He was just sitting at a bar watching TV, trying to stay calm. In fact, Nick Fury tried to buy him. To another beer on top of the one he was drinking and Bruce Banner said like no 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 I should probably just stick with one for reasons so it wasn't like he snuck up on him and he played some Wait a pie. He are you trying to say right now Bruce Banner in that situation wasn't looking for people who were coming after him that he was just hanging out on vacation he was trying to keep a low profile at a bar interesting Interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, uh, the last thing uh, I have to say, it's interesting that you you compared being disintegrated with the blip versus being like poisoned and your body is stopping and you can feel it being stopped. So you have to use a defibrillator on yourself. How And this is actually a real question. How painful was it when people got disintegrated during the blip? Well, thankfully, I didn't get blipped back in 2018. So I guess I just don't know. Got it. So I'm just trying to say slightly different things. He did have the presence of mind. He is. I do think he's a genius. That's pretty cool. Let me get to my point, number one. And what I want to do is kind of talk about the abilities of James Bond. So, look, the Daniel Craig version of James Bond clearly is a physical specimen. Of course, all people in the 00 program and MI6 are trained to pretty much be, for lack of a better term, peak human level, at least within the James Bond world. Now, is Nick Fury in the MCU in great shape for his age? Absolutely, for whatever age he happens to be. But it's a fact that he possesses nowhere near the physical ability that James Bond has. Let me explain. So let me talk about some insane physical feats. So there was this sniper that James Bond was trailing, the Daniel Craig version. And the sniper gets into an elevator. And James Bond sees him and he says, "Uh uh-oh, I better get an elevator was on the outside of the building. We've all seen the scene. So James Bond parkours his way up, jumps up, almost inhumanly up in the air, grabs onto a bottom pipe of the elevator and holds on. As the thing goes up, we have no idea. I think it's 40 to 50 stories up this skyscraper, and James Bond is holding on the entire time. I don't think Nick Fury is doing that, although, you know, he's still pretty strong. Let's see. James Bond's also an expert acrobat. He's able to use what looks like parkour. We've seen him traverse, uh, you know, quickly over rooftops and otherwise precarious terrain. Uh, James Bond's so strong, by the way, the Daniel Craig version, he's listed as being able to kill a man with just one punch. That's pretty impressive. He's strong enough to tackle a person through two bathroom stalls and a wall. That is awesome. Uh, It's actually something I'd like to do someday. He held a man over a ledge by his hair. 
literally had someone by his hair, top of his head, and just held that person over a ledge. Now, it wasn't very easy. He wasn't just like Arnold Schwarzenegger and that person over the ledge, but he was able to do it. That is nonetheless very impressive. Now, here's my favorite. While he's many feet underwater, I believe this happened in Quantum of Solace at the end, he was strong enough to force open a closed elevator. You know, both doors were closed. He forced it open. He pulled out an unconscious woman out of, you know, out when she was, you know, still in the elevator and then went to the surface with her. Again, he forced open an elevator door while underwater. He was underwater for at least a minute and a half, possibly longer. Someone can hold their breath that long. That is also a physical specimen. Look, as strong as he is, James Bond's got some other great qualities uh, as well, or abilities, we should say. He's got complete psychological mastery over himself. He's insanely intelligent. He's even been suggested to have a genius IQ and even a genius EQ. That's pretty impressive. He's a master manipulator. I get Nick Fury is as well. He Listen, James Bond's able to use, I'm using a quote, inductive or psychological changes or tricks to make people offer up information or position them where he wants them. That is awesome. Here's a big one. He's also a master detective. So he's got a unique analytical ability. He can see things that people don't see. He can pick up thousands of pieces of information, store them, and call them up like a supercomputer. That's thanks to that MI6 training. He's a master tactician. Uh, he can come up with plans on the spot, figure things out very quickly. And this be my favorite. He's an expert gambler and car player. Why? Because he has such an understanding of human psychology that he can tell when someone's bluffing or when, he, or when they're not. By the way, he's also a master bluffer as well. And finally, he's a master of stealth because he's a spy. He can sneak in and out of places. He can disappear. He can get behind someone. He can sneak something onto someone, let it blow up while he gets out of there. All of this just tells you James Bond is a physical specimen with crazy, super powerful abilities. Nothing superhuman, but pretty much on the verge. Put the, all that together, and that's my point number one. You talk a little bit about him being a master of stealth. He's the guy who walks into a party, walks right in the front door wearing a bright white suit and starts glad handing everybody he can find. He's not exactly stealthy is what I'm trying to say. He doesn't You're saying have he's like a mayor. Those, uh, you would argue what? Yes, he is the mayor of every party he goes into. That is a fair statement. Now, you talk about what a great uh, judge of character and bluffs and poker player he is, but I seem to remember a scene in Casino Royale when he's sitting there against his arch enemy, Le Chiffre, and he misjudges the bluff so badly, he busts out and loses all of his money to, to a four-of-a-kind jacks over his full house kings over aces. And he loses so badly and so embarrassingly that everybody gets up from the table to take a break, and he just sits at the table staring at the pile of money, and people are so embarrassed for him, they just let him be. Yeah, he's not as good at those things as you want to imagine that he is. He got taken for a ride in a poker game by the villain of that movie. So maybe when it comes to understanding bluffs and understanding characters, he's not quite as good as you make him out to be. First of all, it's Le Chiffre. Look, you're the French one, James. I just <laughs> play him an American on TV. That's true. He, 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 You know, it's true. He did get that loss. However, he did do some other good stuff in later movies. Okay, I love where this matchup is going, at least on my end. So, uh, Jason, you've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Tell us where your head is at with this battle so far. Ah, it's tough to call right now, James. I mean, on one hand, you're, you've got two master manipulators and two master motivators to get people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. They both also are excellent at stealth, where James... Uh, steps into a situation and kind of draws attention to himself, Nick Fury will step into a situation and folks won't even know he's there. I'm leaning more towards perhaps Nick in that particular situation, but then also you make this really great 
point about uh, Daniel Craig's physical specimen and his physical abilities. It is true that he is a much more of a blunt force object uh, than any previous James Bond that we've seen before. But even though he is that blunt force object, he does get got a few times by his by his uh, by his uh, enemies and antagonists. Whereas with Nick Fury, you know he's gotten got by a cat before. Uh, that, you know that's oh, how don't he even... did get. But it wasn't really a cat. It was an alien. So it seems to me that sometimes Nick, when he does get himself in a sticky situation, he's always able to figure a way to get out of it. Whereas uh, Daniel Craig sometimes gets back to in the corner and then has to replan the plan to get himself out of it. It's a split decision right now. I, I can't really tell you which way I'm leaning. Okay, this is good. I like how you're kind of bringing both aspects into uh, each character. This is good. I'm really, uh, I'm liking this. With that being said, Ray, hit us with your next point. Point number two for MCU Nick Fury. Let's talk about some of the tech and some of the equipment that he brings to the table. Because one thing we've learned about Nick Fury in these movies, he's not just a guy walking around unarmed attacking people. No, Nick Fury is a character who has the entire... He has all of S.H.I.E.L.D. backing him. He has the entire multi-government organization of the world behind him, and he rocks that tech, okay? He always carries around a pistol at minimum. It changes as the series went on. Most recently, it was a Smith & Wesson M&P pistol, which is a fairly powerful pistol. It would drop James Bond if he got some of these high marksman shots off with it. But additionally, he also wears a bulletproof vest and a Kevlar suit. So there's been times in the MCU when he did get shot and he was able to pull the bullet off of him and throw it away and get up and keep on moving. Also, he's known for having a whole lot of vehicles. One of the big things that Nick Fury always seems to be around is vehicles that he can either drive or fly or what have you. And that includes his most famous car from the Winter Soldier movie, which is completely bulletproof and impregnable. And in fact, when it got flipped over by that under underside uh, bomb that flipped it over, he was able to get out of it. Uh, using an item called the mouse hole, which is a pocket torch. It's like a little mini, I won't call it a lightsaber, but it's sort of like a lightsaber dagger. It creates a lot of fire, a lot of heat. And if he used that on an impregnable vehicle, what could he do to a person if he tried to use the mouse hole on the person? That would be a severe ouchie. But also about the car, there's a mounted machine machine gun in there that he just, just used, roll down the windows, just blow people away who aren't expecting it. And the car can fly. We learned that the car can fly in one of the movies, although it had been damaged before then, and the flight capabilities were, in fact, taken away. In the new Spider-Man movie, he used a stun gun shooting darts, and he hit Ned, who is a, a large kid, a large, you know, a teenager, but he's still a big guy. He shot him with one dart and dropped him nearly instantaneously. He's also been known to fire energy weapons on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He brought this gigantic uh, laser rifle thing and he gave it to Coulson to shoot. And it was just taking out regular humans right, left and center until finally it ran out of juice. Heck, he used an RPG in the Avengers movie. 
because they have these things. And he shot down a jet as it was flying away off the helicarrier in order to like drop a nuclear bomb on New York City. He blew that out with an RPG. So it doesn't matter what kind of weapon there is. But assuredly, if Nick Fury's there, there are going to be weapons everywhere. And that's not even bringing up the helicopter. He's such an effective helicopter pilot that he turned it sideways to catch Falcon as he fell out of a building during Winter Soldier. You can't just do that unless you're a master driver, a master pilot, and he can command an entire helicarrier. The entire shield helicarrier he is in charge of. So if it really comes down to it and he wants to escalate this fight, he can just get into a vehicle and blow James Bond absolutely away. And that's not to mention all the cool tech and gadgets that he has as well. And that's my point number two. So so he's at this, you know, wherever the, he happens to be in a random encounter, uh, neutral location, no prior knowledge of the person he's about to face in Daniel Craig, James Bond. And somehow the helicarrier is parked nearby. Absolutely. I mean, look, Nick Fury is a is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He has S.H.I.E.L.D. tech and gear around him at all times. He wasn't ready for the Winter Soldier, but he was still in that heavily armored car. He isn't ready for most of the situations he finds himself in, but he always prepares himself extra ahead of time for whatever may come. And I think that's important. So he's got a helicopter nearby, a helicarrier, laser rifle that's huge, and uh, a big, huge SUV. Is that correct? I've seen him do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, cool. Well, you know, again, a random encounter, a neutral location. He, They're in a, a bar or wherever they happen to be, a party, a gala, and they walk outside. And uh, evidently all these, these vehicles, including a helicarrier, are just parked nearby. Is that He's correct? the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course there's a helicarrier nearby. He's going to call a helicarrier while trying to take on this person. He will try to escape. Absolutely. That's, um, How dare yeah. You? Uh, okay, listen. You want to talk about weapons. Let me get to my point number two. I'll talk about weapons with James Bond. I'm going to take a little bit of a twist with this one. Of course, when you talk about vehicles, I'll take what Nick Fury can do in a car, and I'll put that up against what Daniel Craig's James Bond can do in a car any day of the week. Now, it's not to take away from Nick Fury's ability to drive a vehicle and command it and use the weapons on it. No, he's actually really good at it. James Bond just takes it to a whole other level because he wants to get the job done. Of course, you can talk about the Aston Martin that's tricked out that that, you know, is explosive proof, bulletproof, has the uh, all these different defensive capabilities, machine guns, different weapons on it. I don't think it has lasers, but it's got a lot of other really great things, grenade launchers, plus all this advanced tech within the car itself. Plus, it's super fast, and James Bond's a master of driving at it. Let's talk about the other stuff he's got. He's got a firearm, a Walter PPK slash S 9mm gun. This is something that's actually got a palm print reader on it. It's really cool. That means it's smart technology. Only James Bond can fire it. Anyone else tries to is just not going to fire it. He's got these special watches because, you know, it's James Bond. He's got to be stylish. These watches have built-in explosive charges. They have with uh, various timers. There's also a magnetic-resistant type of watch he wears. And he's got a a watch that emits a very powerful electromagnetic pulse to disable all electronics in the immediate area. Yeah, his watch also acts as an EMP. I wonder how that tech that Nick Fury has is going to work around that EMP. He's also got a handheld laser he uses once in a while, and he's also got a laser built into his phone. Now, he's a master at using all these weapons. Uh, one of my favorite ones, uh, you know, to show how incredibly he is with it, he's I think it's within Skyfall. He's trying to get the main villain who's on the helicopter. He's on a speedboat. Now, he's got to capture the villain on the helicopter, and he's got a handgun. So what does he do? On a speedboat, he's waving side to side. He he starts taking aim and he starts shooting out the engine of the helicopter just enough so the helicopter lands and he's able to apprehend he's able to apprehend that villain that is insane accuracy look 
When you need something blown up, call Nick Fury. He's great at aiming, shooting, blowing things up. When you need someone captured and bring something down in a very, very clear way using master accuracy, that's James Bond's, James Bond's cup of tea. Now, if that wasn't enough, he's also got an exploding keychain because why not? Does he use it? No. By the way, I think he uses uh, remotes that you know he just pushes the button and the car starts. I just think it's funny that he's got a, a keychain at all. But here's the thing. Look, you look at the earlier versions of James Bond, right? This version of Daniel Craig's James Bond doesn't have a lot of advanced tech on him. Why? Because the writers of these films and the producers, they wanted this Daniel Craig version to have more of a realistic approach to James Bond. So as a result, they made him a master of improvised weapons, right? So anything he can pick up around him and use, he can use it in a devastating fashion. Here's a few examples. Let's see. Uh, first of all, there's always some type of sharp object around him. That's just a staple. He's always got something sharp around him. He can throw sharp objects all the time. Just like he threw the kitchen meat cleaver that killed Raul Silva. That was the main villain of the Skyfall movie. In one film, James Bond had to defeat two villains in a, in, in a crumbling building that was also filling up with water. He had no weapons on him, so what did he do? He used exposed wiring on the building while taking on the two opponents. One of them grabbed a nail gun. He wrapped around the neck where he did, took away the nail guns, shot both of them, and did all this crazy stuff by using the exposed wiring of a building. He used a briefcase to beat up three powerful goons or guards that were coming at him because why not? Briefcases are fun. While on a moving train and fighting the powerful Mr. Hanks, that was that big, huge guy in Skyfall played by Dave Bautista, who, sorry, Dave Bautista, who's amazing. What's he do? He's got to use improvised weapons, grabs a rope, wraps around his neck, can, you know, puts it onto a large metal object, kicks the metal object out of the moving train, and away goes Dave Bautista, Bautista straight out of the train. It's crazy. In another scene, James Bond gets attacked from out of the blue by someone who was an expert with a knife. What's he do? Blocks the knife, disarms it, puts him through a glass window, grabs scissors, stabs him in the neck, and as the guy's bleeding out, sorry kids at home, as he's bleeding out, Daniel Craig just kind of holds him in place and waits for him to die patiently as he's looking around. Highly disturbing, but still fun to watch. And all of this by the way, is just him acting naturally when he's got to do something. Whenever he's in a fight scene, go back and watch this. As he's on the floor, as he's looking around, his hands are always searching. He's always looking. He can pick up anything at any time and use it to absolutely obliterate people. That's why I love James Bond. And that's my point number two. I am so glad that you brought up that Hanks fight against Mr. Dave Batista. I like how you pretended like James Bond fought this guy, beat this guy, tied a thing around his neck, and then threw him out the train. As if anybody who's actually seen that fight scene agrees with you. He got his lunch handed to him by Batista, a larger, stronger character. Hanks was about to defeat, murder James Bond, except for outside interference, stepping in and getting in the way, allowing James Bond the distraction and moment he needed to recover and do the rope trick. Let's not pretend if nobody had interfered that Batista Hanks would not have killed James Bond right there on that train. Another thing you talk about this EMP. You just talked about how his pistol was a super fancy mechanical pistol with the with the grip with the fingerprint. What would an EMP do to his equipment as well? Take it all off of the table. But also, Nick Fury lives in a world where EMPs go off all the time, and you have to imagine some of his technology is ready for it. And you talk about, oh, oh, if you want somebody shot from a distance in a helicopter to pull down, you want James Bond. If you want somebody to blow up, you get Nick Fury. Well, I want to blow up today. I want to blow up James Bond. So I think Nick Fury is the perfect person to fight him. And it's really convenient, James. It's really convenient to say, oh, there's always a butcher knife or a pair of scissors or a jagged piece of metal 
or exposed wiring on the outside of a building that I'm going to rely on for this battle. Yet the thing that Nick Fury's always buy, a helicarrier, is suddenly off the table. How convenient. You need 26 <laughs> random sharp things to save you. I only need the thing that he's known to be around. How many movies in the MCU was Nick Fury around a helicarrier? Man, I'd have to say off the top of my head, all of them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, Ray, how many times have you been on the floor, drunk, where you were just, your hands were out looking for something and you found a pair of scissors or a sharp object or, you know, whatever that is? James, I you have call a four-year-old in, in the house. I can't just leave sharp objects laying around the ground. Really? What kind of a monster parent are you? Well, that's my whole point. Really? Lego? You couldn't kill a man with Lego? I couldn't, but Riddick could. I could totally do it. All right, Jason, listen. You've heard two points from Ray. You've heard two points from me. We're now at what's called the turning point. This is where you need to tell us who you think is ahead in the battle and what the other side has to do to pull out the victory. Well, I'll tell you, James, right now, in terms of argument, it's actually a dead heat. Oh, wow. It's a dead heat. A lot of men, and I'll tell you why. This last round is what changed everything. Mm. It was leaning, it was leaning towards my guy. Mr. MCU, Nick Fury. But you made some really strong arguments here in this round. And I'm going to tell you, there's a, few, there's a few key points that you brought up that made me pause and think, mm, yes, you got a lot of high-tech weapons, but you got a lot of blunt force weapons at your disposal. And in a fight, in a bar fight between two master spies who are also great motivational speakers, this <laughs> may end up coming down to the simplest of matters versus the highest of tech matters. Mm. And in that case, it kind of ended up making me sway. And I'll get, to, I'll, I'll get to a summation later. Hopefully, we'll see how this thing pans out. I'll be able to break everything down for you. But right now, whew, I hope y'all bring the heat in round three because I'm not quite sure who's going to win. Wow. Okay. Okay. The the helicarrier point was good. Uh, the, the, the scissors countered the helicarrier, evidently. You know, here's the deal, Ray. Listen, I'm coming at you hard, no doubt. I'm trying as hard as I can. You better win this fight, Ray Stacanus. You know what's on the line. So with that you have being an said. an excellent character, James, and I want to make no assumptions, but don't worry, I will. That's good. All right, Ray, hit us with your point number three. Point number three for Nick Fury. Now, we've talked about who this man is, what he has. Now I want to talk about what he has done. Because one inescapable fact kept coming to me over and over and over again as I researched this episode. And that's James Bond fights humans. James Bond fights people, many of whom are either just straight up mercenaries or possess little to no fighting skill whatsoever because they're supervillains who rely on other people to do the fighting for them. Nick Fury deals with extraterrestrial alien threats, killer gigantic robots, and any manner of super-powered individuals on a day-to-day -day basis and always stays one step ahead of all of them. He fights a much tougher level of opponent to the point where when you bring James Bond in front of MCU Nick Fury, he's almost going to be relieved. He only has to fight... A, a super spy human as opposed to everything else is done because let's talk about some of the other things that he has done one he was in the facility in the avengers he had just been shot he gets up pulls the bullet off realizes right away the entire facility is going to explode around him and he is able to run up flights of stairs very very quickly as the base is exploding behind him get 
up out of there and save himself from blowing up bases. It's a thing you know James Bond can do. I just want to point out that Nick Fury has a similar set of skills when under pressure to get himself out and ready to fight again. He once jumped three soldiers who knew he was in the room. He stepped backwards, let the soldiers pass him, hit them from behind because of that stealth I was talking about earlier, took out three soldiers with shots, minimal effort basically. It was just fluid motion of, I'm going to snap over you, take your gun, shoot that guy, take this guy out behind me, and then walk away safely. No problem. Who can forget when he killed a scroll? in his car because he realized that the scroll was a scroll and not his friend Colson. The guy pulled a gun on him and before the gun could even be pulled, he was able to hit, disarm the guy, take him out and then spin the car. So that way it hit in a way that Nick Fury could walk away safely, but it straight up killed the alien in the seat next to him. And who can forget in Captain Marvel when the scroll held a gun to his head. He was able to, in a split second against this superpowered alien, disarm the gun, take it away, and start wailing and using martial arts on this particular scroll. He fought him evenly until the scroll suddenly remembered he had super strength and then took it to Nick Fury. That's the point. That's what it takes to actually beat Nick Fury in a battle. You need superpowers, a thing James Bond as a human does not have. Heck, he survived it when Goose the Flurkin scratched him in the eye. Goose is an interplanetary threat. He took a direct hit from it and was only mildly annoyed afterwards. What are we even going with? Also, who can forget the moment on the helicarrier when an, oh, one of Ultron's robots flew down and smashed into the helicarrier and everybody is like getting freaked out. Uh, they're trying to shoot him. Nothing's happening. What does Nick Fury do but improvise his own weapon, grabs a giant piece of metal and destroys an Ultron? I don't care how many poker players you were able to punch in the nose. If you can kill an Ultron, you should have no problem against a James Bond human at the end of the day again. One fights humans of varying degrees of skill. The other fights Loki, world-conquering monsters. And that makes all the difference in a fight like this. And that's my point number three. So first of all, I just got to make a point here. There was only one thing in Captain Marvel I didn't like. And I didn't like this severely. And that was how Goose the Flurkin scratched Nick Fury. And that's the origin of his eye. I'm really hoping in a future movie... Somehow that's retconned or kind of explained that that was going to happen. It was brilliant. It uh, was it though. Well, the rest yes. of the movie was great. I thought it was fantastic. I Subverting just... expectations is always oh. fun when you already know all the stories. That's horrible. That's just, I, I just don't know what to say about that. Okay, listen. I actually like this point a lot because you're right. In in the Marvel universe, you got to deal with some different types of threats. And what Nick Fury is fantastic at doing is surviving these big threats. He's amazing at surviving the threat and then escaping and then figuring out what to do using intel, using his insane intellect, his experience to come up with a plan to deal with it. I mean, that's why the Avengers Initiative was created because he saw, hey, I survived this thing. We need a bigger thing to deal with possible threats. Again, he's amazing at surviving an initial encounter, going somewhere, regrouping, and then coming back. Unfortunately, that's what's going to happen here. He will. He may survive it, but he, and he may come back a second time to maybe even get the win, but in the first encounter, uh-uh, he's leaving, he's escaping. Let me explain why. So here is my point number three. Let's talk about the durability, the desire, and the maniacal grit 
that the Daniel Craig version of James Bond has. So, again, Nick Fury from the MCU is a serious badass. There's no way of denying it. However, I really hate myself for what I'm about to say. He's not on the level of James Bond when it comes to fighting. Let me explain why. Firstly, at the very least, James Bond is a master martial artist. In all actuality, the way he fights, he should be listed higher than a master of martial arts, but I just don't know what that level, that, that level or that term is. So according to the official James Bond website, the Daniel Craig version of James Bond specializes in melee combat. That just means lots of stuff combined up close. He's an expert in various types of martial arts, including judo, aikido, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Filipino screamo, which is where you can use sticks, knives, and pretty much anything as a weapon, karate, and of course, Krav Maga. And by the way, he's not just an expert, he's a master of these styles. He's a master combining all of this together. He he can also effortlessly engage multiple opponents, armed, unarmed, otherwise, and come out the victor. We've seen this a number of times. For example, I think it was in Quantum of Solace. He was able to beat and defeat several MI6 agents while handcuffed in an elevator. He's handcuffed. He's in an elevator, and there's several MI6 agents, also highly trained. That kind of reminds me of that great scene uh, in Captain America Winter Soldier in the elevator where he's there. Not as powerful as Captain America, but still not horribly dissimilar to that as well. He was able to do it. Another time, Daniel Craig allows himself to be captured by these villains. I think it was in uh, the very first James Bond movie he was in. He's got a hood over his head. His hands are bound. He's allowed himself to get captured because he's trying to get close to whoever that villain is. And the two villains are in the side, and one of them puts a gun to his head. Again, he's got a hood over, so he can't see anything. Using tactile sensitivity alone, because I know this gun disarm, he grabs the gun from one person while the person's still holding it, points it at the other person, shoots him, disarms the person, shoots the other guy, takes the hood off, rips off the zip ties, does that in two seconds. Now, I'm pretty sure if Nick Fury was in that same situation, he wouldn't be coming out as quickly as good. I do think he could survive it. But I think James Bond is just on a different level. On top of that, James Bond has an insanely high tolerance for pain. Now, remember the scene in Casino Royale, and I'm trying to be real careful with this. James Bond has no clothes on. He's tied to a chair. He's captured. And there's a hole uh, that's kind of exposing his, um, you know, the medical term is no-no danger zone. And Le Chiffre, the main villain, is taking what it looks like a ball on a rope, and he keeps hitting him in the no-no danger zone. And what does Daniel Craig James Bond do? He starts laughing at him. He starts laughing at him. Le Chiffre gets frustrated, leaves, and then he figures out how to escape from there. This is crazy. Another time, James Bond got a large metal spike impaled into his back, deeply impaled into his back. Sure, he pulled it out, no problem, but that was after he killed the three people he was fighting at that same time. Once he finished fighting them, he's like, okay, I'm good, takes a breath. He's like, oh, this thing, and pulls it out of his back. Crazy. How many times have we seen James Bond take a large fall, get hit by an explosion that sends him flying across the building, landing on his back on concrete stairs from high above, or getting stabbed and beaten numerous times, only to bounce back up to his feet? We've seen this, and then he chases after the villains and keeps on fighting completely unfazed. This is crazy. I had to rewatch this a number of times. So why is he able to do all of this? It's because of the reason that separates these two people. Nick Fury is a tough, badass of an individual who's a master chess player when he has time to make and plan his moves. James Bond, on the other hand, especially the Daniel Craig version, is all that, but is a literal human weapon who is maniacal, maniacal, I say, race to Canis, when it comes to accomplishing whatever it is he needs to accomplish. And that's regardless of the cost of harm that comes to him. He's willing to put his body on the line like no one's business. In other words, James Bond has an extreme amount, and this is kind of a cool term, an extreme amount of obsessive enthusiasm when it comes to getting the job done. It's ridiculous. And if getting the job done means using explosions, guns, undermining tactics, anything else, and get him hurt in the process, yeah, he's fine with all that because that's kind of the guy he is. Nick Fury, on their hand, wants to get the job done, but will absolutely call him for backup or try to escape in really cool ways, mind you, when the odds are against him. Again, I've already mentioned this. In a second encounter 
with these two, I think Nick Fury has everything it takes to win, but he's going to have to lose the first one to gain that experience, understand what he's facing, and hopefully survive the situation, which he could because, again, he's Nick Fury. He's awesome. But, again, that first situ- that first fight, that first encounter, uh, this is going to James Bond. This is going to Daniel Craig. I hate to say it. I really hate to say it. All that together is my point number three. That is a strange, strange things to say, James, because one thing I know about James Bond in history and Daniel Craig James Bond is no exception. He tends to lose a lot of fights the first time he meets somebody. Why was he tied to that chair getting hit in the no-no danger zone repeatedly? Because he lost. Because he got beaten by somebody the first time they had an encounter. Why in countless other James Bond films, granted not necessarily Daniel Craig, but he always gets beaten in the first encounter tied to the death machine and then fights his way out to come back i would actually argue that if james bond and nick fury meet nick fury would obviously beat james bond because james bond when he first meets up against an opponent doesn't take in who they are and doesn't fully understand who they are and that's why he loses so many times that's why batista handed him his lunch and he needed a bailout from his lady friend whereas nick fury immediately, immediately knows exactly what he's up against. He knows exactly what he needs to do. And I absolutely believe this is a fight. You try to refer to James Bond as being calculating. And I've seen James Bond talk through many an encounter. And I've seen Nick Fury talk through many of an encounter. And when it comes to using words in the middle of a battle to your advantage, there are nobody, nobody you're going to put up against me is up against Nick Fury and his ability to get someone off their game verbally one way or another. All of that being said, James Bond, I think if he was able to get his hands on Nick Fury a second time, I think James Bond could win that. But definitely, definitely not in their first chance encounter. We've just seen James Bond get tricked and beaten too often in his own movies. I just wish Nick Fury could take out the threats immediately and just go after them the same way that James Bond, Roger, uh, Daniel Craig does. That's all I got to say about that. All right, listen, Jason, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me. Now it's time for you to make up your mind. Give us a decision. Take us through your process. Tell a story and tell us who wins this battle between Daniel Craig, James Bond and the MCU's Nick Fury. Well, gentlemen, first and foremost, I want to just say that you guys, you each put forth a valiant effort in defending your arguments, making your points, and representing your respective uh, opponents. In one corner, we have Raced Canis representing the mighty Nick Fury from the MCU. In the other corner, we got James <laughs> Gabsey representing the ever-handsome Daniel Craig as James Bond. Now, <clears throat> round one was mostly about who they are as martial artists and as spies, right? Most of the time, most of the argument was about the ability to read somebody, their intellect, their their ability to scan and observe what the situation was before they get there. If I'm going down that road and that thought process, you, Ray brings up this point. He stays cool when he even even when he's getting dusted. He's got the presence of mind to call in a super protector for the earth. But then at the same time, you go over to, J- to James Bond's Daniel Craig. We talk about how uh, it's a fight, not a motive. It, you, we talk about how he survived a defib situation and was had the presence of mind to crawl to his car, get the defib, get the poison out of his body and survive. He can one punch kill somebody. One punch kill is a powerful thing you can do. And I'm pretty sure Nick Fury can't one punch kill anybody. But 
you talk about the genius level of each individual. And I, I, I'd be fair to say that they're both on a genius level. The master tacticians, the expert gamblers, each one of them both have and bring to uh, the world, to the game, to the fight game, the intellectual portion of the fight game. In a bar, they both bring qualities that will make each one a formidable opponent to one another. However, in this case of round one, the fact that Nick Fury can hide in plain sight really stands out for me as an edge that he has in round one because he's smart enough to hide himself in a way where Daniel Craig, where Daniel Craig's James Bond already draws attention to himself. So while he may draw attention to himself, Nick is already there and would be able to get the drop on him. So for that, in terms of intellect and preparation, Round one does go to Nick Fury. So now we go to round two. And I'm just giving you the psychological process that I'm taking you guys through. You got round number two. Round number two is about what? Weapons. Weapons and tech. Tech and weapons. Who's got what? Who's got cars? And who's got guns and things that shoot projectiles? The fact of the matter is they're both dope with their technology. Got all the futuristic technology possible. Stays bulletproof has lots of rides. He has a bulletproof Escalade. Bulletproof Escalade is kind of fresh, but at the same time, James Bond got a dope Aston Martin with all kinds of gears and gadgets and whistles that, and he looks sexy in it, right? Like, he looks sexy in it. <laughs> you can't take sexiness out of the factory, and, and I'm, that's just style matters. You bring up the point about the electromagnetic watch. Woo! That could jack up Nick's technology. Yes, Nick does have a helicarrier in his pocket all the time. It's somewhere. It's either cloaked (laughs) or it's somewhere in the vicinity. He always has some tech. The watch could take out the tech. It could. I started thinking about the scenario of a fight. Does Nick need tech in order to kill? And does... James need anything in order to kill. And when I started thinking about a battle in a bar between the two of them, hand-to-hand combat, improvised master of weapons, I went, oh, snap, what happens if all the weapons get eradicated, the electromagnetic pulse goes out and blows off all of the tech gear that's out there. Now we're left with nothing but raw materials and raw weapons that are right there readily and available. And I thought about it and I said, you know what? One, even though Nick has the power to blow things up, he might blow himself up trying to blow up James Bond. Mm. And then nobody wins. Two, I thought if it comes down to all the tech getting eradicated and it's just the hands of fisticuffs and we don't have anything else but their knuckles, what if James Bond Grabbed that eye patch off his head, off of Nick Fury's face, slapped him in the throat with the throat and then jabbed him in the other eye. Now Nick can't see. Nick has one eye and then takes the strap and chokes him out. So I said, oh, snap. Got to give it to round. I got to give round two weapons, hand to hand fight. I got to give it to James Bond, Daniel Craig. Have to. Wow. So now it comes down. Now we're in a split decision, right? I got notes, man. I got notes. I got I'm, notes I'm, I'm like on the on the edge of my seat right now. I love this. Like I need to see this in a live action form. Please go on. 
can't, I'm sweating. It's it's so good to me. It's <laughs> riveting. Not the only one. It's riveting the argument that you all each made about this. So we now come down to level of opponent, quality of opponent who you have to beat. On one hand, we've seen James Bond beat just about anybody and everybody out there. We really have. And he has taken a lot of pain. And it's a powerful point because when you get hit in the no-no zone, no-no danger zone, mm-hmm. and smile, you a tough hombre. So it's not like Nick could knee the no-no danger zone and get a response from James Bond, Daniel Craig. It's, 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 that's, that, that's not, that's not going to work. So when you talk about opponent versus opponent, they're both formidable opponents against one another. Ray, you said Nick got survived the flirking scratch. He did in a galactic being, and he survived the flirking scratch. But he also, from James's point of view, got sucker scratched by the flirking. He should have been prepared for that, but he wasn't. He should have been prepared, but he was not. However, when I boil down your arguments, the two statements that were made that were the most powerful for me that swayed this. James learns in the moment. He's a master improviser of fighting in the moment. But Nick knows the moment before he even arrives and comes prepared. He would know his enemy. He would know his foe. He would know every single move that James Bond would try to pull on him. He would be prepared. I don't know how he would do it but he would be prepared enough to take out Daniel Craig's James Bond. It would be a close match. Everybody would get their behinds kicked, but I do believe that in this end, MCU's Nick Fury would take, he'd take the cake. Oh my God. Wow. And, and, and James oh. Bond would live to fight another day. And he'd probably knock on Nick's door the next day and whoop his butt. Wow. I think that's fair. You know what? I got to tell you. So so one of the main rules, by the way, you 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 should you sh- you, you definitely wouldn't need to win an award for that in some way shape or form. But here maybe a game award. A ga- maybe a game award possibly. Go vote now. Here's the thing. I I typically with the rules of who would win, we say it's a random encounter, neutral location, no previous knowledge of your opponent, right? And I I'm a stickler with that. However, with if there's anyone who can use tech or understand a situation and kind of like size someone up and you know with and again we're talking about someone with decades of experience right as as seasoned as daniel craig is he doesn't have literally the decades of experience by the way i'm hoping the mcu they say that he's got this kind of quasi immortality thing like he did in the comic books just a hint on that right i'm hoping Mm -hmm. i gotta agree with your decision Based off that, decades of experience of going in, plus crazy high competition, I do think he would get the win over Daniel Craig, James Bond. I'm super happy with this, but I got to tell you, Jason, you're good. I would need to say really quick, you know, when I hear you say the words, I think he would know who he's going to face ahead of time. Immediately, the alarm bells go off. But the key to my argument and the point number one was that even if Nick Fury doesn't know who you are, he's dealt with so much in life that he would quickly understand exactly who you are. So that's an easy step aside to that who would win rule. And so all the alarm bells stopped going off. And I said, Jason Kelly, I get where you're coming from and I'm on board for it. I appreciate it. I mean, and it was close because the idea of beating six MI or, or three or four MI six people in an elevator, I mean, that that that's no feat in and of itself. Good. I mean, that's something to be respected. 
But you killed a you killed a scroll in a nineteen ninety Pontiac Cutlass. <laughs> you a bad man. You a bad oh. bad man to clock that out. Jason Kelly, all I got to say is thank God you were in on this match and that you were the judge of this to bring justice to and, and a great verdict to Nick Fury Jr. Ray was also here, but you, Jason Kelly, really helped to understand, help the Legion of Audience to understand why, actually, you helped me to feel great about this matchup. Thank you. I brought it as best as I could. And thanks to Jason Kelly, not Ray Sicanis. Jason Kelly, you helped bring justice to this and showed us why Nick Fury won this matchup. You are awesome, good sir. A national treasure is what people should say about you. Ray, you're also here. How are you feeling? I feel like Jason Kelly's a national treasure, and uh, I can't wait till the holiday season comes and goes because I'm getting a copy of Deathloop, and I really want to play it, and I really want to enjoy it, and I'm going to enjoy it more now that I know that the lead character of Deathloop thinks Ray should win who would win battles. That is now canon to the Deathloop franchise. Put it in there. Jason, is that indeed canon? Is that a real thing? It is, it is absolutely canon. And, and, and you'll you'll find it out there on Black Reef when you start playing. I love it. I love it. All right, Jason, listen, this was an amazing match, and it was made really that much more amazing by far because you were part of it. Thank you. Please come back to the show. With that being said, tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can watch you right now. You can find me online on Instagram at jasonkelly.jk. The last name Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y. So jasonkelly.jk. And Jason Kelly underscore JK on Twitter and I believe Facebook. And you can catch me this coming Sunday on Paramount Plus. I recur as Tim Weaver on Mayor of Kingstown. I love it. I love it. So that's awesome, Jason. Now, uh, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, what it was like to, you know, actually do this show and and, and film with, uh, did you actually get to film and meet Jeremy Renner? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. It's ironic because the first audition I got for this for this show was one of the lead roles. Uh, it was Bunny. Uh, he's a big uh, leader of the, the Crips. And I got that audition the day my wife were driving to the airport, to, driving to the hospital to deliver our son, oh, our wow. firstborn. And I was blown away and I went, wow, this is a great part. But being coming to dad's an even greater part. And so let me focus on getting this little boy into this world. And I did not do the audition because I just wasn't going to be able to prepare for it. Sure. And it didn't, I didn't have the presence of mind of saying, Hey, give me some more time. I let that go. And then about two months later, I got an audition for the Tim Weaver part. And my wife and I did a quick self tape right outside of the booth. She helped me. And it was the first time she's ever really helped me do a, an audition. And a few weeks later, I got the part and they told me, yeah, you're going to be heading to Toronto for the entire summer starting in May. And in a matter of a few weeks, I was leaving my four month old and my wife oh, wow. to figure out our home life. And I was off in Toronto uh, filming this incredible show. And I read the script and realized, oh, wow, my first scene in the ep in the pilot is in the t first 10 minutes of the show. And it's setting the tone of the way this world works. And I'm opposite Jeremy Renner in a <laughs> diner. And I went, oh my gosh, this dude, <laughs> this is gonna be amazing. And to say the least, I made sure that that scene came off without a hitch and looked really good. And it was awesome. He's super grounded, super down to earth. And when we were in, after we had run the scene and shot it, we were in the waiting room getting ready to do another piece of the scene. And someone, some of the other cast members came in and I cracked the joke. And I made him genuinely laugh. So there it is. I felt good about, about myself. 
I love it. I love it. I like it. I, I mean, this is a great. Uh, this is a great example for everybody. Listen, being a dad, raise a dad, I'm a dad, you're a dad. We all agree it's the greatest job of all time. Best that is cool. awesome. I love that story. That's very cool. All right, listen, Ray, congrats on this win. Congratulations on having uh, Jason Kelly see why Nick uh, Fury should actually have won this matchup. And I guess you were part of it too. So tell the fans where they can find you and what's going on. First off, let me just say, you talk about how great it is to be a parent. I'm not sure it's so great to be a parent in the Gabsy household where scissors and butcher knives are just left laying around the floor for any child to hurt themselves with. So, James, I might need to make a few calls to certain agencies on uh, certain checks that need to happen after this match is only over. The, now, only the strong survive, Ray. That's only the strong survive. You know what? That's also fair. Uh, your son, very, very strong. <laughs> not going to deny it. Now, my other thing I want to say real quick is that there are only now two more episodes in season three, and legitimately, the production team is not here for whatever reason. I don't know where we sit. I don't know if this victory just pushed me to a season three victory, or if I'm not even close and you've already won. This last two months have been bananas Mm -hmm. as far as you ripping off three in a row, me then winning four out of six, and the back and forth has been wild, more so this season than any other that we've had before. I don't know where we stand. I need to look this up. If anybody in the, uh, any one of you radiacs out there, any one of my hashtag awkward allies want to tell me the straight poop on where we stand with two matches to go, I'm going to need to know that to see how much extra research I need to do to bring season three home. You can hit me up at Almighty Ray on Twitter. You can hit up the five radiacs and what have you, or you can go to the masses that are known as the Legion of Audience and ask them that same question. I'm sure someone within the Legion will have that information handy. Look, Ray, great job. This this season's actually been my favorite season of Who Would Win, and uh, that just means we have to work extra hard for season four, just putting that out there. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavs. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, the Geek and Game community, Zoit Media, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win team. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Kevin Goatee. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel. We host Gutting the Sacred Cow, the best and most unique movie debate podcast out there. Why? Because we invite our guests to pick a film that they find overrated or hate and try to convince us to see their argument. They must pick a film that is a financial success, widely beloved, or critically acclaimed. That's right. Some of the films our guests have tried to eviscerate, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters? You can find us on all podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And if you want to watch our smiling faces, we're also on YouTube. GuttingTheSacredCow.com is where you find all of our information. And we look forward to our guests infuriating you when they attack your favorite films. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 